Well, thank you very much, Robin, for your welcome and the invitation to speak this morning. Well, if you're like me, you just got to love a birthday. It's one of those joyful days that stands out in the year when you're buoyed along by a little magical sense of specialness as you fill up on all the love and goodness of being alive. If it's a friend or family member's birthday, we think affectionately about them as we reflect on the unique and special qualities that go into making them them. Maybe we let them know by sending them a greeting or gift how much they mean to us and how thankful we are to share life with them. Well, I hope we can enter into that spirit of joy and celebration a little bit this morning, not just because the restrictions have eased this week, although that has been great, but because it's the day of Pentecost, commonly held to be the birthday of the Church of Christ. It's a day we come back to every year in the church calendar as we revisit Luke's account in Acts 2, which we heard read, telling of how the church is formed as a new community by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Although in one sense Pentecost is a kind of birth story, it's probably more comprehensive to call it a new instalment or chapter within the ongoing overarching story of the people of God, which starts right back in Genesis with God's call to Abraham and his descendants. And indeed, we'll be tapping into parts of that wider story as we look at our passage today. Suffice it to say, Pentecost is a, a significant day for us as church. And reliving the story is a purposeful way of reflecting on our identity, our nature and mission as the story continues to inform who we are in our day and generation. So let's begin. Well, it's been a crazy roller coaster time for Jesus's disciples and followers. Feelings of trauma and devastation at his brutal death have been dramatically superseded by the wonder and elation of seeing him alive again in his resurrection body on that first Easter day. A total transformation was taking place inside of them. Their encounters with the risen Christ had brought a dawning realisation that they were, in fact, best placed to be exactly who Jesus had reappeared to commission them to be, credible witnesses to his supremely unique life, death and resurrection and his place and role in that big kingdom story that we just referred to. Before his ascension to the Father, Jesus has told them, his disciples, to wait in Jerusalem for the promised spirit who was to empower them. And Pentecost was to be that divinely appointed day for this outpouring as the Holy Spirit was about to fill the earth in a wholly new way. Now, Pentecost was one of the three major festivals in the Jewish calendar, known as the Feast of Weeks or First Fruits, a harvest festival falling 50 days after Passover, and was a time for Israel to celebrate the bounty and blessing of God on their land and community. It was also a commemoration of the giving of the law at Sinai, which had set them apart from other nations as God's own people, gifted with the law which was designed to guide them into life, and also by God's tabernacle presence within the heart of their community. More latterly, the focus had shifted from harvest to the celebration of God's covenant with his people a, people, a people who would ultimately bring his blessing to the world. 
It became a time when, with high expectation, the prophet Joel was read, who foresaw an outpouring of God's Spirit on all flesh in the last days to mark the start of Israel's age of salvation and the coming Messiah. And Luke, Luke, writing in Acts 2, tells how everyone had converged on Jerusalem for the festival, as was the custom. Joining those who normally lived and worshipped there were a large number of devout Jews and converts from a far-reaching diaspora. We heard that long list of tricky names read. So we get an extraordinary sense of the stage being set and the tone is one of collective anticipation and excitement. The actual sending of the Holy Spirit is described in sensory terms of wind and fire. Luke reports the sound of a violent wind and divided tongues of fire alighting on the disciples. Wind and fire are the traditional symbols for the Spirit of God, so rich in mystery, referencing divine presence and energy. There are so many biblical parallels here. Wind was mentioned in the creation story, and natural phenomena like fire and cloud featured in the account of when the law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, and like the Greek New Testament word pneuma, it carries the sense of wind or breath which imparts new life. Fire too was a symbol of God's presence, like the pillar of fire that led the children of Israel through their desert wanderings. John the Baptist had prophesied that Jesus, um, that Jesus' coming would bring a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. We read of tongues of fire that rested on each of them as the Spirit came, and there was a manifestation on this occasion of an ability to speak fluently in unlearned languages. At the sound of the commotion, the cosmopolitan crowds gathered and promptly became part of a sensational miracle, as each of them from their diverse regions in the Middle East were able to hear God's message spoken to them by the disciples in their own tongue. I suppose a bit like when we've seen footage from a UN Council meeting where delegates have their headsets on and receive communique in their own language. But I think a whole lot more spontaneous and exciting than that image conjures up because they always look like they're about to drop off and this was like truly electrifying. They knew something quite extraordinary was happening, that history was being made and they're frantically trying to rationalise and make sense of it. How come? These were Galileans, many of them uneducated. We would normally have real trouble understanding their dialect. Some had to resort to derision and mockery, accusing them of being inebriated, drunk on new wine, which wasn't such a bad analogy as it happens. Emerging as the natural leader, Peter, the one on whom Jesus said he would build his church, refutes claims of drunkenness. What you're witnessing is a fulfilment of that long-awaited prophecy by Joel of an outpouring of the Spirit in the last days on all flesh. Emboldened by the Spirit, Peter begins to preach, a sermon we find in the second half of Acts 2. As he timely proclaims, the wait is over, that day is now. Jesus was the Messiah who has already come. You killed him. But God raised him, and we are witnesses to this. 
He has been exalted as Lord and Christ, and now salvation in his name is being offered by the indwelling of the Spirit to all flesh, without any distinction. No distinction of race, age, gender, or class. And on that day, many, about 3,000, repented and were baptised and received the new life of the Spirit. So what are some of the core aspects about our identity, nature and mission as church that are implicit within our Pentecost story? Firstly, about our identity. It's in Christ. The sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the salvation it brought was rooted in the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Christ. At his ascension, the Father exhorted him as Lord and Christ, and this marked the time for the Spirit to be given now as God's agent on earth to continue that transformative work of the kingdom. He was to indwell people, the people of God, like a new tabernacle or temple, writing the law on hearts and guiding the community of believers into all truth. He was to empower them as they lived out the will of God by bearing witness to the risen Christ throughout the world. Now we in our day and generation have come to faith through the Apostles' testimony and have become a part of that mystical body of Christ, present and past, having received the same Spirit who also emboldens us in our witness as Easter people, testifying to the life of Christ wherever we go. So what about our nature? Well, Like the spirit who lives within us, God's desire for the church is for us to be united, diverse and universal. Unity is highlighted at the start of the passage. The apostles were all together in one place. The tongues of fire rested on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. First the apostles and then the diverse group of believers who responded to their message, and many of them would take back this new life to their various home regions and cultural contexts. The manifestation of multiple and understandable languages denoted how diverse and universal the gospel is, expressing the heart of God that none should be excluded, but all should have the chance to hear and understand the message of Christ in their own tongue. The confusion and dispersion of the Tower of Babel was being undone as the Spirit was regathering, reunifying a new creation community, gifting them with a miraculously inclusive language of salvation. Peter, quoting from Joel, gives the wide open offer that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus had come to the Jews, but his message of love and forgiveness could not be contained. And now with the Spirit being given, God's wonder and salvation is irrepressibly free to flow out through the witness of the apostles and followers of Christ to all people, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and throughout the Roman world. One commentator described Pentecost as the big bang event that started it all. And finally, our mission. Well, our mission is God's. It's his initiative, his salvation purpose and kingdom that's being worked out to a glorious fulfilment. 
and we've been redeemed to participate in Christ and in his mission. Essentially, it's a mission, a sending, a self-giving that mysteriously exists within that interactive dynamic of the Trinity and flows out from the heart of God. In love, the Father sends the Son, the Father and the Son send the Spirit, and the Spirit sends the Apostles and all believers to co-work with him, overflowing God's love and life throughout the world, and indeed the whole created order, as all things find their fulfilment in Christ. The Spirit and the mission of God is greater and not exclusive to the Church, but the Spirit is the indwelling gift who leads the church in the divine dance, teaching us the creative and innovative ways that he can move. Well, if our mission is God's, then our future is bright. Since the spirit given at Pentecost, the festival of first fruits, was exactly that, a first fruit of an ultimate kingdom glory and fullness that is to come. Paul writes of the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in God until full redemption appears. So this morning, I hope the retelling of this exciting Pentecost story has given opportunity to recenter on God and reflect a little on our identity, nature and mission as his most blessed people commissioned to witness to the risen Christ. We may not be perfect yet, still a bit patchwork in places perhaps, but the Holy Spirit is still working and one day as his royal bride, we are going to take Christ's breath away. A day when all things will find fulfilment in him. In anticipation of that great day, let's celebrate this one. Happy Pentecost, Church of Christ. Happy Pentecost, one and all.